Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you once again for the opportunity we have to be here together. We ask that you would speak very clearly to us, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of being together as a family. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. That was awful. Good morning. It's nice to be back. Thanks for all of you who prayed over our trips. We're kind of on vacation, which I talked about, and then we're home for a couple days. And then our attempt was to go and represent you guys well at a missions conference in Alabama, and it was great. Um, it was interesting to be back in church world, um, you know, from like Bible Belt perspective. So thanks for those prayers. Um, if you're new, welcome. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the lead, pa- I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Well, and I'm excited that you're here. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're kind of just going to pick up right where we left off. Um, as Christy was reading this passage, I was reminded, it sounds like you're just reading through Proverbs, right? Like there's this, and that would make sense since King Solomon was the one who wrote all or most of the Proverbs. We know that um, he has these like pithy sayings that he kind of goes over, and oftentimes they're very difficult to grasp. I mean, there's a lot of information here, and so my, my task today is to try to take a whole bunch of stuff that he's referring to and bring it down into something that makes sense. In order for me to do that, um, everything that we're going to talk about is going to come back to this first verse. And so I'm going to read this again real quick, and it's weird. It's a weird analogy for us. 
but I'm hoping that it'll kind of frame out everything that we're going to talk about today. So this is what it says. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. All right, so this is a common thing that I'm sure you guys talk about all the time, right, if you're going to give an analogy. So, I mean, if we kind of look at the picture here, what it's saying is a perfumer, okay? So an individual who makes perfume, they're called a perfumer, I guess. That's fancy. And so they're making perfume, and there's a lot of things that go into making perfume. I'm assume I have never made perfume before, okay? But I'm going to assume that it is a skill that requires a lot. I mean, I know it sells for a lot of money, so I would think it's expensive. It's something that they're having to constantly work through. I know I would struggle making something like a perfume. I, I'm that guy that like we get into like Macy's and you walk me through the perfumery and as soon as we get there, I wanna like hit the knee in my knees and army crawl through because there's so many smells all coming together and it overwhelms me, right? And everybody smells something a little bit different and that's why there's so many perfumes. So much goes into it. So if you can kind of picture this guy and I don't, I wanna go old school. I feel like there's this vat, right? And there's this guy like, like mixing perfume and trying to get it perfect, and he's taken all of this time to kind of put it together. And then if you can imagine as that's done, and he's like, this is perfect. He sees this little fly come, or in his little buddy, he brings his little buddy, and they like die in the air. Oh, I'm dead. And then they fall in, and it says that those dead flies will actually ruin that entire like vat of perfume. It'll cause it to stink over time. And as I was processing that, I thought, well, it's an interesting image. I remember when we were in California and I was pastoring there, Christy was teaching an evangelism class to, like, littles. And one of the analogies that they would use to help them understand sin was this brownie analogy. And so it was like she would, you would if you picture, like, your mom or whoever mixing this, this batch of brownies, and then it all smells good, and I've always, you know, the one that wants to lick the spoon and the bowl and so on and so forth, but it's like, okay, you can see these brownies. And then they, she puts something in it that would be bad, okay? So it could be anything. It's just, it could be a rotten egg. It could be whatever, and you drop that in there. It doesn't matter how much more good goes into that brownie mix. There's always going to be a rotten egg in there, and they're always going to taste bad. You can't hide it. And what, she, what, the, what the analogy was, was that's kind of how sin works. It doesn't matter how much good that you do in the world. There's always sin. There's always these issues that we have. That's kind of how this is functioning here as an analogy for us. And that analogy, Solomon is taking to this idea of being wise. I, I've come to the realization that humanity has much easier time dealing with the bad in people than the good. And I, I, I'm saying this not as like, oh, you guys are terrible, because I have the exact same issues, right? Think about a story that somebody tells you. It's so much easier to believe the bad in somebody than it is when somebody comes up and says, I gotta tell you how great this person is. You're like, eh, whatever. But if somebody comes up to you and says, I gotta tell you how bad this person is, or I gotta tell you what this person did, you're like, oh, like, I want to hear this. And you'll believe it with like, you know, nothing. It's just like, wow, I can't believe this person would do something. There's something innate in us that desires to hear what's wrong with other people, right? Like, we have that in us. And it's easier for us to, I mean, we, we, we learn this in a culture, I think, 
you know, if you look at high school culture, you look at as you're a kid, you learn very, very early on the way that the social structure works, that if you can knock somebody down, oftentimes others around you will lift you up. Right? Like, there's, a, there's plays about this, right? There's a, I haven't seen it, but there's like a, a Broadway play called Mean Girls, right? And I know the, the premise, right? It, it's so much easier to believe bad. And because of that nature, what Solomon is trying to tell us right off the bat is, look, we can do all the good that we want. As soon as we do something foolish, it seems to negate the good. Now, I'm not saying that's how it should be, because it's not. But I'm just saying that's how it is. That's how life works. We, we'll see people do so much good, and then you're just kind of like, oh yeah, that's, they're, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. I, I, I can honor the fact that they're doing good, and then there's something that's done. It doesn't even have to be anything bad. It could just be a poor judgment, or it could be something that's said, or whatever it is. And our minds automatically go to, oof. Now, the world sees the church that way, right? Like, if you talk to people in Boston, they're going to be, or, or if anybody's in here and you've had, like, church hurt or, you know, you've experienced something, like, I, I'll say this often, like, I'm sorry that you went through that, and I'm not going to promise it's not going to happen here because that's foolishness, right? You, you're in a group of people that are attempting to come together and apply a, a truth to our life, knowing that we're dirty, rotten sinners living in a sin-cursed world, and we're probably going to hurt you. Like, at some point, I'm going to do something, if you get close enough to me, where you're going to be like, man, he really disappointed me, right? And I'm not going to do it intentionally. I hope not. Right? I'm not going to attempt to upset you. I'm not going to attempt to say something that is going to just hurt you, but it's going to happen. And here's the, but here's the rub. You're going to do the same to me. At some point, if we get close, you're going to do something, and I'm going to be like, man, they really hurt me. That's just called humanity, right? But the responsibility of the church is that we say, we know this individual, his name is Jesus, and he was loving, and he was kind, and, and everybody, I mean, the, the most dangerous person in the world is somebody who knows a little bit about the story of Jesus, and then attempts to apply that to everything. Because they have a misunderstanding of who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't always this guy who just sat around with sheep and children. Right? He wasn't always passive. I mean, we have stories of Jesus turning tables over, making whips, getting angry, right, at injustice. We, we don't... I think often what happens is the world looks at the church and they go, because you claim to know Jesus, I hold you at a higher standard. Now, here's what I'm going to say. That's correct. They should. Okay? So church hurt hurts almost worse than anything else because your expectation internally is, I'm amongst a group of Christ followers and we're all trying to follow Jesus but in the midst of that, we're still human beings. And we're still dirty, rotten sinners. And there's still going to be flies dying in our ointment. Right? But one of the things that Solomon is going to impress upon us is this. There are some things that we can do as Christ followers 
to help, right? Because it's not going to be perfect. It's not. I, I often liken kind of church world or relationships to the way that marriage works. Now, I have a good marriage. I love my wife to death. We still argue, right? We still have our, our disagreements. We'll still have, I mean, we, we actually had a misunderstanding on our way driving here today, right? And it was no big deal, but it was like, oh, okay. I mean, these things happen, right? Um. The relationship and the complication of just human interactions and relationships that you have with people that are close to you, I've learned that oftentimes you end up hurting the people you love the most because you're closest, and, they, and then you, when you start letting people in, what you're actually doing is you're letting people into the mess of who you are, right? And no one knows you better than your spouse. Like, I think I said this not too long ago, but when you get married, it's, you know, two messy people coming together, right? So you have two people with baggage, and now I'm bringing my baggage into this relationship, and you're bringing your baggage into this relationship, and it's difficult. Now, when we compound that with something like a church, and we're growing a church, and there are people coming in, and everybody's a mess, right? I, I think you just have to own that. Like, I mean, at one point, I was like, we just need to have stickers that when you walk in here, you put it on, and it just says, I'm a mess, right? Because we need to own that. We need to own that we're a mess. We need to own that we're constantly blowing it. But I think what Solomon is really going to push in this is he's like, okay, that, everything I just said is absolutely 100% true, but the reality is we still try to get better, right? The Apostle Paul talked about this. He said, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, this is 1 Corinthians 13, I think verse 11 it is, and he, and he said something like, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things aside, right? And what is he saying? What is he actually saying here? He's saying, as we mature, there are things that we used to believe, there are things that we used to do, there are, are ways that we used to behave, there were thought processes that we used to go through that as I've matured have kind of been set aside. There, I, I'm growing up. And the whole point of everything that he's going to write here is to say, listen, as a Christ follower, you have a higher calling, you do have a higher standard, you're still going to mess up, you're still going to hurt people, you're still going to sin, you're still going to cause problems. However, as we grow, it should be getting slowly better. Right? He would say, grow up. Like, put on your big boy pants, right? And let's make sure that as Christ followers, we are growing in who we are. That the things that we used to say, the, things that we, the ways that we used to think, the things that we used to do are no longer part of who we are. I guess in essence what, what he would ultimately say is you need to move out of the childish problems. You're still going to have some adult problems. But if we're constantly fighting the childishness, then we're always going to come across to the world as we're really immature so I guess if you're here today and you know Jesus 
the ultimate question in going through all of this is, where are you still acting like a child? Right? Now, expectations for everyone are a little bit different. For an individual who comes in and says, I just came to faith in Jesus, there would be much less expectation for you to get rid of your childish behavior. It's going to take time. It's called sanctification, right? We continue to grow. Sanctification just means setting apart. So if you can kind of picture this in its actual you know, word picture, it's Jesus is continually setting you apart from the childish ways that we lived in the past. And it's just step, step, step. Sometimes we step back this way, right? And we feel that. And then other times it's continuing to move. And that's what sanctification is. The more mature we become in Christ... <sighs> But I also think that one of the things that Solomon's going to say is just because you know Jesus doesn't mean that you're actually going through a sanctification process. I know a lot of people who know a lot about this and can't apply it for anything. Right? The world of academia drives me insane. It really does. Like, I'm an academic, so I get to say this. Okay? It drives me insane because oftentimes it's like, well, all you got to do is just know everything that's in here and life's going to be good. And I'm like, no, you have to be able to take what's in here and apply it in the real world. And so when theologians are constantly going, this is what it says, this is what it says, and you look at their life and they're not able to do what it says or they're not able to own the mistakes that they're making, what do we see? Dead flies in their life. Right? So where are you still acting childish? Like, we don't want to push to the point where I'm like, man, you're trying to overdo what the sanctification process is that the Lord has for you. But if you've been a Christian for a while and you're still struggling with the same things over and over, or you've gotten to a place where you're like, well, I know all of this. And I don't really have to process that way. Everybody else just has to get on board. You've just missed it. So that was a long introduction. That's where Solomon's going. Okay? So he gives us some great word pictures. So we're going to come back to this. Dead flies make the perfumer's ornament give off a stench. And the way he's going to do it, he's going to say there's ways to behave that are wise in the gospel. And there's ways to behave that are foolish in the gospel. And when you choose the foolishness, it's as if people are seeing, man, you stink, right? There's dead flies. And it's really hard to go, hey, you, you need to know Jesus. Like, you're separated from your creator. There's sin in your life. We, we know that every single human being deals with the exact same disease, that sin. But you need to be reconciled to your creator. And the only way to do that is through the person of Jesus. And as you're telling people this, and then they're watching how you're living, those two things often don't add up. Right? Last thing on this introduction, I would say this. Even when you make a mistake, it can come across as, how you handle that mistake can come across as you stink or you don't. Like, do you own it? Do you show what repentance looks like? Are you willing to say, yes, I know, I'm still a dirty, rotten sinner, and I'm constantly blowing it? Like, I have, I'm, I just turned 48 on Saturday, okay? And one of the things I'm learning is that when Pastor Matt comes up here and we take communion every Sunday and he says our lives should be defined by repentance, that should be happening every single day. Why? Because you're sinning every single day. Every 
day. I went to bed last night, and I, I prayed, and then I woke up this morning, and I went, where did I sin yesterday? Like, that was actually a question that I asked, right? Like, did I repent for anything yesterday? Because I know I, I, know I sinned, and you're like, well, what did you do? I don't know, I probably thought something. My mind goes places. It doesn't even always have to be like a sin that I've committed. It can be a sin of omission. Did I glorify Jesus in everything I was doing today? Because even if I just went about my life and I never acknowledged him, that's a sin. I, I wonder what it would look like if a church actually functioned that way, where you went to bed every night and you went, Lord, can you use the Holy Spirit that lives in me to reveal all of the things that I did wrong today? And then you repent over them and then you wake up and we know that there's new life. Right? Like picture that, a church that actually did that. All right, let's move on. Verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to anyone that he is a fool. This is so true. So I grew up in this town called Bakersfield, California, and there's this section of town that's called Oildale. Matt knows it, right? I, I'm, I'm careful how I'm going to say this. The culture that exists in that little community is my least favorite culture in the world. And this is why. The culture teaches, I just don't care. I just don't care. I don't, I don't care about anything. I don't care about you. I don't care about me. I don't care about rules. I don't care about society. I just don't care. Whatever I want to do, I'm just going to do it. And that, it drives me nuts, right? So it's, it's silly things like, it's the same thing that happened to me yesterday, but you get somebody walking down the street and you're in your car and you have a green light and the person sees that you have a green light and they just walk anyway, right? Now here's the thing, like I'm like, why are you doing that? And then I go, oh, I did that yesterday, right? Because we know in Boston all road signs are actually suggestions, right? But this attitude of like, in, in the cult, this culture that I'm talking about, they wouldn't just walk on a green light. They would walk on a green light down the middle of the street going the wrong direction. And they would just expect everyone to just swerve around them. And that's exactly the image that's given here. person that's walking, that's foolish, just does whatever they want, whenever they want, with no regard for anybody else and what's going on around them. They just kind of live in their own little world and they're announcing to the world, I'm a fool. Right? Because everybody that's sitting in the car goes, are you wanting to get hit? Right? The arrogance to go, I can step in front of a bus. And, and it's, it's going to be fine. Right? Eventually, when that bus hits you, the bus is going to win. Every single time. The only example we have in life where the bus doesn't win was with Superman. And you're not. And I'm not. Right? Like, the bus will always win. And so he, he, they're reminding us, look, we can recognize fools sometimes just by their behavior when it comes to how they're functioning in the world around them. Don't do that. Actions speak loud. You can be the smartest person in the room, 
But if you're walking in front of buses and you're walking against traffic, or I remember like as I was a kid, right, it was like there was this one one-way street, and I'm like, it's faster to go against the traffic on my bike. That was really foolish. Many times I almost got hit, right? But I'm assuming that the response of the driver that almost hit me is, what a foolish kid, right? In Boston, it would be much more colorful. Right? I think we have to apply that to our life. Like, as other people look at us, what is it that we're doing carelessly that people go, what a foolish decision, right? But then you also have to turn that internally. What is it that I do on a consistent basis that could be perceived as foolish? And it could just be something as simple as crossing a street. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. This is probably one of the best like, practical pieces of advice that Solomon is ever going to give you. Do you know what this says? You don't fight foolishness with foolishness. Right? That, that's what? Foolish. Like two negatives don't make a positive when it comes to working together and functioning as a family and a unit. So in this example, when somebody's coming at you or there's foolishness that's going on, we don't attack that foolishness with foolishness. We don't, in fact, what the word the scripture is going to use is they're going to say stay calm. Um, if you ever work in the business world or you're, you're in a like high-end job where it feels like the work that you work in is tense all the time, right? So I'm thinking like something, I mean, we see it in movies, right? So if you're working on Wall Street or you're like a, a day trader or whatever it is and there's just all this constant stress every single day, the ones who succeed are the ones who are able to remain calm no matter what the trends are doing. They just... They just stay still, right? It's the, the storms can be going everywhere and, th- and think people can be coming at you and, and all of these things in life can be coming, but the ones that you admire the most are not the ones that start yelling or the ones that start complaining or the ones that start doing foolish things back. They're the ones that just go, it's okay. It's okay. Like, I'm not saying you ignore issues, but I am saying if you just get frantic like everyone else, you'd look just as foolish. Like this happens a lot where it's like something happens and then the first thing people do is they go and they start telling somebody all this stuff that's happened, right? And now there's a bigger storm and then you go, oh my gosh, why would you do that? Foolishness, right? I do that. In fact, that's actually an analogy that's gonna come up here in a minute. Or, you get so angry at a situation that maybe it seems disproportionate that you're that angry, but for you it was kind of a big deal and you just show this anger and people just kind of start pushing you away like this. You can't even be an impact anymore, right? Whatever it is, I, there's, there's calmness in the gospel, Meaning, whatever's going on in the world around us, whatever's happening with someone else, whatever's happening in your family, whatever's happening with your enemy, it doesn't matter. Scripture would say the wisdom is applied when you remain steady. Right? I mean, we have 
uh, example of this in scripture when we have Peter walking on water, right? And what happens? When he starts to look at the waves and he starts to panic, he begins to sink. We continue to walk toward Jesus regardless of how big the waves look. And we remain focused on him and that keeps us calm. Why? Because he's what's most important. If you lose everything tomorrow, as a Christ follower, you still have Jesus, which means you can remain calm. Right? That's the gospel. He could give you everything tomorrow. You still remain calm. Why? Because Jesus is most important. Stay focused on him. It doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. You remain calm. It's the fools that don't. And when I say the cost is higher for the church, is Jesus really that powerful in your life? Because you're freaking out just like everybody else. Is Jesus really powerful in your life? Because you're just as unforgiving. You're just as mean. You're just as volatile. Is this really impacting? Next analogy, verse 5. There's an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an arrow proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground, like slaves. Okay. I'm just going to sum this one up. Life's not fair. Okay? So if what you're attempting to do is create fairness in life, you're done. Because life's not fair. And he gives this analogy, right? I've seen, I've seen princes and kings walking on the ground. I've seen slaves riding horses. I've seen, oh, let's put this into our analogy. I've seen absolute fools in the nicest of cars, and I've seen those who are wise in the clunkers, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean, fill in whatever it is for you. We don't really, in Scripture, have this, we want it there to be, we don't have this association of like, oh, the more wisdom that you employ, or the more godly you are, the more material you're going to get. We want it to be that way. But that's not really how it works, right? It'd be really difficult to go to somebody like the apostles and say, okay, clearly Peter and Paul, the reason why you had all of these struggles, like if you look at Paul on his missionary journeys, right? The guy was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He had all of these issues. He was stoned, right? You go, oh, well, you must have something going on in your life, and that's why the Lord's not blessing you. Can you imagine having that conversation with him? Okay, let me take one up. How about Jesus? Jesus, you must have done something terrible because you died the most miserable death that our planet could conceive. The idea of prosperity comes with righteousness is foolishness. It's possible that it will. It's possible that it won't, but it doesn't really have anything to do with that because some of the worst people on the planet can be some of the most prosperous. Right? So we have to, as Christ followers, we have to completely disassociate ourselves from that. The blessing that we have is Jesus. I, I want us to get that. <laughs> the blessing that you have is Jesus. Anything else that he chooses to give us above and beyond that is not even because he's just going, oh, I'm just going to make you rich because I want everybody else to see that if you follow me, you're going to be rich. No, it's 
I'm going to give you this so you can use this as a tool to be on mission. I'm going to remove this from you so that it's used as a tool so that you can be on mission. And that's why Paul would say, I've experienced both from day to day. I remain calm. I'm not looking for fairness. There is no fairness. Life's not fair. The next, he gives kind of four analogies here to help us understand that. Like, there's accidents here that he describes. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. So you have two analogies here. Like, I don't dig a lot of pits. I, don't, I doubt you do either, right? But I actually have seen someone in this room fall into a pit, right? And I, I won't pick on them, but... We were actually at, like, we were in California, and there were these holes all over the place, right? And the person who dug the holes told Tanner, <laughs> there's holes all over the place, right? And then next thing we know, here comes Lacey running into the house saying, Tanner's in a hole, <laughs> and he can't get out, right? And what he's saying is basically, look, like, you can labor to dig a hole, and then as you're going through your life, you forget you dug the hole, and you can fall into the own, your own hole that you dug, right? This snake one, I, I've had an experience like this, so I do not like snakes. I'm just telling you right now. I'm going to tell you this enough to say don't joke about snakes with me, okay? I don't like them. I think it's biblical, okay? But I don't like, I'd rather face a bear than a snake. I, I had this, this moment where we were out in, I, I think I was working some cattle or something, or we were playing out in, in a ranch, and I'm climbing up these rocks. I don't even know what I was doing, but I climb up these rocks, and there's this ledge, and I jump up, grab the top of the ledge, and I begin to pull myself up, and right when I got to the top of the ledge, there's a rattlesnake looking at me, and he's like this close to me, and he's rattling, and I'm like, I am dead. <laughs> like, I just died, and nobody's gonna know, and now, there's panic in me because I just told you, I don't like snakes, right? I, I want to say that it was wisdom that kept me silent. It wasn't. It was absolute fear. But I just kind of slowly lowered myself back down and then let go, and I didn't get bit, right? But I wasn't looking for a snake. I was trying to avoid snakes. But in the moment, as I'm working, it's possible that you could be doing something, and here, all of a sudden, there's the attack, Right? The other two, it talks about um, he who quarries stones is hurt by them, right? I mean, you can hurt your back working. All this is accidental stuff. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Meaning, no matter what you do, you could work in a coffee house, and you're like, what's the danger in a coffee house? Hot water. I'm just giving one. Slippage. Okay, You can just be doing anything, and the fool or the wise person still gets injured just doing every normal day things, right? So life's not fair. But there is some wisdom that can be employed, and that moves on to the next thing where he says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. What is he saying? He's saying, look, there's a way to like prevent injury. There's a way to prevent some foolishness. You're always going to have these accidents. But for example, if you're working in the coffee house and you spill something on the floor and you don't clean it up, then you have a higher probability of slipping. Makes perfect sense. In his analogy, it's this guy that's going out and I'm picturing he's chopping wood with an axe. 
and it's a dull axe. Well, that means he's going to have to work a lot harder than if he just took the time to sharpen the axe and then went and chopped the wood. Wisdom would say, let's use our brain, not just force. Guys, have you, okay, I, I remember growing up, I'm like, everything can be fixed with a hammer, right? And every guy in here has said that, and you've tested it, right? Or, like, computer's not working, it's like, oh, I just need to pound on it a little bit. I don't, I, that must have worked once in our lifetime. And then somehow we created a theology to go, everything can work if you just beat it, right? (laughs) I don't know why we think that way, but we do. It doesn't work that way. We, We go, okay, let's use our brains. Wisdom would say there's things that happen. Accidents occur. However, the wise individual goes, there are some things that I can do that would prevent the higher probability of an accident. And all Solomon's trying to do is go, as Christ followers, you got to think. Like, be proactive. Think. You're, you're, you know, don't, your brain is sharp. Don't use a blunt brain. Like, think. As Christ followers, I, I hate this. It's like, oh, blind faith. It's not blind faith. We have this. This isn't blind. So I have a biology degree, and when I was growing up, people were like, science has proven that God can't exist. And I'm like, man, I went to secular schools, and I have degrees in science, and I'm telling you, I came out of school with more belief that God exists than not. Because there's a lot of things that science can't explain. A lot. Right? We have to use our brain. Think. Process. All right. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what shall be. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Um, If you ever drive with me, or you ever go on a trip with me, do not appoint me as navigator. I'm giving you wisdom. Two things will happen, okay? We're going to get lost. And you go, well, there's GPS systems. Yes, but GPS systems require that you listen to them. Okay? I don't. So I have learned over time, it's taken me a while to go, the person that's in the passenger seat is the navigator. I don't care how competent I think that they am, I know that they're more competent than me because I'm not going to listen to the GPS system, and they probably will, okay? And you go, so then here's the other component. The reason I'm a bad navigator is because my brain never stops. So when I'm driving and you get me in a position where my brain is not focused on one thing, and you're like, well, it should be focused on driving. I agree with you, but it's not. It's going everywhere, I'm thinking about what needs to happen here and what needs to happen here and what needs to go on here and what's coming up and I'm dreaming and I'm thinking about how the future maybe needs to go and I'm just, my brain's going everywhere. Christy can be like, the exit's right there and and then I miss it. And she's like, how did you miss it? I told you it was right there. I told you, like, that's where we have to go. And I'm like, I don't know. My brain, something wasn't clicking. So I get this analogy, right? 
It's foolishness. If you're driving, I waste so much time. I can tell you right now, if you've gone on a road trip with me, I am the king of U-turns, right? We waste so much time trying to get to where we're going because I'm just not paying attention, I guess, right? It's foolishness. But what I have found and what he's, I found this quote by Plato, and I think that it's really cool. And I think you'll relate to it, but Plato said this, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. Think about that for a moment. Because that's exactly what Solomon's saying here. Right? Like, sometimes I'll miss the exit just because I'm talking and maybe saying nothing instead of paying attention to what I'm doing. Right? But fools constantly want to talk. Jabber, 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 right? I got to tell everything to everybody all the time, constantly, right? Wise people understand when to speak and when not to, right? Like, I have learned that it's the wise person that often in the room is the quietest. And then what they say when they speak is really impactful, the fool goes, I'm just going to speak all the time, and out of that, maybe one wise thing will be said. But by then, everybody's like, I can't listen to you anymore. Right? As a Christ follower, how do we apply this? I think in any situation, no matter what we're doing, I, I mean, I think as Christ followers, the reason we blow this one is because we're not praying enough. Like every interaction you have, it doesn't have to be a bad interaction. It's just, Lord, I'm going to be going out throughout my day. Give me the wisdom to speak when I need to and not speak when I don't because I know I'm going to encounter accidents. I know I'm going to encounter problems. I know I'm going to blow it. I know other people around me are going to blow it. Keep me calm in the midst. Keep me focused. Help me use my brain. And don't let me just speak to speak. Like, if I'm going to say something, let it be something worth other people hearing. Right? Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in mourning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is son of the nobility. And then as you keep reading here, and I'll get down to the end, you're just going to find that there's this comparison of these two things. When your leader acts like a child, it impacts everyone negatively. When your leader acts like how they're supposed to, then people benefit. Okay. I think as human beings, what we say is, as soon as we say that, is typically, now a leader will take this, like if you want to know if you're a natural leader or not, I just read that, and you're going to go, oh, he's talking to me. That's what a natural leader will think. An individual who doesn't maybe have the gift of leadership, they start thinking of leaders, right? And they're like, yeah, I've seen that, Right? So, but what I'm going to tell you is this. Regardless of whether you have natural leadership, you are leading somebody. And you are being led by someone. So if you're married and you're a man, you're leading your household. Right? If you are in a relationship or you have 
kids or whatever it is, you're leading somebody. You might lead somebody at work. You might lead somebody in a relationship. You, whatever it is, you have influence. Leadership is just influence. You have influence over people. So we have to process this. Like, I think the danger is leaders take this. Like I read this and I'm like, oh gosh, I gotta do better. Other people read this and go, my leader needs to do better. And what I'm gonna challenge you is this. If you know Jesus, you're influencing people or you're supposed to influence people, which means you're leading people. Therefore, this is for you as well. The question is, are you acting more like a child or are you acting more like nobility? And you're like, why nobility? Because you're a child of the king. There's expectation placed upon, I don't know, okay, forget that. Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility okay when you're given authority or when you're given influence when you come to faith in jesus you're given that not only you given it but now you're placed on mission you're to go you're to live you're to live out the gospel in every way possible you're to help others see and, and bring them in. You're to go, look, I know what you go through because I went through this as well and I still go through it, but there is a solution here. You can be reconciled to your creator, to the person of Jesus. You can. Okay, so there, there's always a solution. You're on mission. You're leading people. You're influencing people. The question is, is what people see childish or do you actually represent the king? And herein lies everything, right? Because some of the stuff we went over before, as you're doing self-evaluation and you're looking at what you, how you speak and how you behave and, and how your heart functions and are you calm in situations and all of these things, that shows whether or not the, the, the components of the gospel are coming out through I'm a child of the king or through I'm a child, and we will be judged by that, by the world around us. Now, one of the reasons, it's just one, because we know there's an enemy and we know it get attacked and so on and so forth, but that's not here, okay? That's another sermon. One of the reasons that the world looks at Christ followers and goes, wow, these people are weird, or these people are foolish, or I don't see any difference is because we act like children before them. We act like children. And Paul says, look, if you're, if you're going to act like a child, then people are going to treat you like a child. Some of you refuse to grow up. Right? I just refuse. I am who I am. Gospel, I accept it. I, I know that Jesus saved me. Great. But now, Jesus, I'm going to remain a child, and you're just going to have to protect me in my childish ways. Solomon's saying, not only is that bad for you, but it's going to be bad for everybody else. I had a moment in my life where this really hit me hard. And it was, it, it was this moment where I went, I'm trying to remember how old I was, but I don't, I was in my 20s. But I said, Lord, I have accepted, I 100%, like I profess 
that Jesus died for my sins and reconciled me to the creator and that I will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. I have accepted that. That's not questionable to me. I trust you for my eternity, but I'm not trusting you for my present. That's childish. How is it that, how childish is it to say, I will accept eternity with you, but I'm not going to give you the current 70 years that I have left on this planet. That's childish. And I was confronted with that. Like, Lord, I am living as if everything depends on me. But I'm saying that my eternity depends upon you. This is backwards. And child, children think backwards. And I remember talking to a mentor about this. I mean, one of my first spiritual mentors, and they're like, yeah, you're a child. That's childish. That needs to be resolved. You have to get over that. You have to mature. You have to grow up. Put on your big boy pants. Like You, you can't just keep expecting to live the way that you were living. You, it, it, how do you accept a gift like that from someone and then just constantly say, well, I don't really believe it while I'm here. I'm just going to believe it in the future. It's childish. Very last verse, verse 20, it says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. All right. I told you that there was this analogy of like, okay, if you're a leader and you're a acting as a child, you're going to impact others, you impact yourself negatively, so we got to grow up, right? And he concludes by saying, look, if you're sitting under a leader who's childish, your tendency is going to want to go, I'm going to be really vocal. And Solomon is going to say the exact opposite. Keep your mouth shut. And you're like, wait, aren't we supposed to speak against injustice? Yes, but we're not talking about injustice, we're talking about a childish leader. And then he uses this analogy, which I, in God's sovereignty, who knew, right? It's perfect. He, he uses an analogy of like, you can be thinking something in your head or speaking in your room, thinking that you're alone, and there's a little bird sitting right there on the window that's going to go and fly somewhere else and tell everybody what you said and what you're thinking. And I said, oh, Twitter. Right? I'm fascinated by social media. I despise it, but I'm fascinated by it. Because I, I, I can't believe what people will say. I, the attacks that will come out. The just, I don't know what it is, but there's something about typing that you would never say this face-to-face -face with someone, but you'll type it, right? And then when you type it and hit send, something like Twitter it doesn't just go to a person. It goes to the world. I mean, I think as human beings, our natural tendencies go, man, there's major problems in the leadership. And it's my job to just constantly say that there's problems in the leadership. Right? So I don't know where your mind went with this. But let's just talk about politics for a second. Major problems in the leadership. 48 years old, I've lived through some presidents. There's always problem in the leadership. Always. 
right? Even if the guy or woman or whoever it is that I chose gets elected, I still at some point I'm like, oh my goodness. This is insane, right? I mean, I've never had that. I've never worked for a leader that I've gone every single decision they made was perfect, ever. I'm smart enough to go, as I lead, every single decision that I make, you're not going to go, oh, that was a great decision, Kevin, right? Because I'm going to make bad ones at times, but I'm also, leaders have to make decisions that other people don't have to worry about. They have information that other people don't have. They have circumstances that other people don't have. They're not just making a decision based on one person. They're making a decision based on a lot of people, right? But our tendency is to just get vocal. Now, what Solomon is going to say is, here's the lack of wisdom in that. What if that person walks into your church? What are you going to do? Like, if you're just willing to constantly shred others, because maybe you don't agree with their, their scenario, or you don't agree with their leadership, or what's going on, Solomon's going, that's going to impact you. You're losing effectiveness. What happens when that individual walks in? What happens when you're placed before them? Right? You know, we got to be wise in this. Oftentimes, the reason that we want to speak up is because we're acting like the fool who just thinks I have to say something. Or it's our arrogance. Right? And as Christ followers, the ramifications of that are so much greater. Because when it happens, you say, how do I trust this person anymore? Right? I mean, even in the world we do that. But in the church, when we do that to an unbeliever, how do you influence people by talking bad about them? Now, I'm not saying we don't fight injustice. We do. But we fight injustice. Right? We live in a culture right now that is mixing this up all over the place. Where I, the culture would say, so, you know, I don't know, counter, uh, not counterculture, cancel culture. Oh, you think a certain way, therefore I cancel you. You know why we understand this? Because the church has been doing it for years. We invented cancel culture. We cancel each other constantly. Oh, I don't like the way you handled that canceled and I'm going to make sure that everybody else knows about it. Oh, I perceive something, and I'm gonna, I'm, before I even confirm, I'm going to actually go and make sure that everybody knows. Right? We're all guilty of this. There's not a person in this room that isn't. But it impacts. It changes things. It prevents you from building relationships with people. It prevents you, especially unbelievers, who go, man, is that really what your church is about? Once again, childish behavior. 
All of the analogies that are given here, it comes back to this first thing again, right? Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. And one of the things I want to end with is this, because this is a lot to process here, because I think every single person in here, especially if you know Christ, has to go, where am I a child? And there's some examples here. Where am I a child in how I behave? Where am I a child in how I speak? Where am I a child in how I think? And how does the gospel apply to that? But one of the things that I, I want to make sure that we understand is that you're going to make a mistake. There are times, as Christ followers, where you are going to act childish. And we need to end with, well, then what do you do? It's simple. Don't make it worse. Don't fight foolishness with foolishness. We don't fight fire with fire. We don't fight sin with sin. We... If it's on us, we repent. <laughs> right? And then we talk to people around us to help them understand what repentance can look like. Man, I really blew this one, guys. And I came to the Lord and I asked for forgiveness and I know that he forgave me, but oftentimes we're not modeling repentance well. I think one of the reasons that we might even do everything correctly, but when we blow it, because we're not modeling repentance well, we don't show people that we even believe that we've done anything wrong. And then the world sits back and goes, there's the problem. So a couple things here. One, if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, or you've experienced that kind of hurt, I just want to tell you on behalf of all Christ followers, I'm really sorry that you experienced that. You won't experience that with Jesus. You will experience that with his church. You will experience that with everybody in here. You need to understand that. You also need to understand that we experience that with you. To call the church hypocrites and not yourself a hypocrite is hypocritical. <laughs> right? So welcome to the world of hypocrite, right? Like we just all accept that. The difference between a Christ follower is that we're saying, I know I'm a hypocrite. I know that I blow it, but I also know that I'm forgiven. And I, ha I don't have the power within me to change it, but I have Jesus and his Holy Spirit who can help me change it. That's the major difference. Right? Forgive us if we haven't explained that to you. Don't let our mistakes prevent you from not living a future with Jesus. Now, for those of us that are Christ followers, we're going to blow it. Own it. Own it. It's okay. It's okay. Growing up means you learn from mistakes that you make. If you just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over, we're not growing up, right? Because we don't learn from them. Make mistakes. Blow it. You're going to. But fix it. Here. Acknowledge the fact that you have some things that are going on inside of you, the way that you speak, the way that you think, the way that you act. All of these things that are childish and the gospel needs to speak into them. Don't stop growing up. Don't settle for childish behavior. And here's the beauty. You don't have to. I, I am so frustrated mostly with Christ followers who come and go, I'm stuck. And I'm like, you're never stuck. You're never stuck in a job. You can always get out of a job. 
You're never stuck in an attitude. You can always change your attitude. You're never stuck in sin. You can always get out of sin. How? Because the gospel speaks to all of that. You're never stuck, ever. If you don't like where you are, apply the gospel. There's beauty in that. We don't, the church should be the place of most hope for forgiveness, for most hope for relationships, for most hope for what family looks like, because we get to be. We get to be. Why do we forget that? Don't forget that. Everybody in this room that's a Christ follower, you realize that, okay, you, you don't have to be best friends with everybody in this room. You don't. And I'm, I'm not even going to say everybody in here is Christ followers. I don't know your hearts. But if you're a Christ follower and you're in this room and you're like, man, I just don't like that person, that's okay. Give yourself enough grace to go, I don't have to like everybody, okay? However, you also need to know you're going to be in eternity with them. <laughs> My guess is that the ones you don't like are probably the ones that you're going to be seated at the great banquet. That's probably going to be your table. Oh, your table 13. Why is everybody at that table the ones that I had issues with? Because I think Jesus has a sense of humor. And I think, he's, I think he's bigger. What needs to change? If you don't know Christ, I'm just going to encourage you, like, all of this hope that I talk about, all this ability to change, it won't happen without him. So ask some questions. Turn to the person next to you, yeah, you know Jesus, say, yeah, can we get some coffee? Have some questions. If what's holding you back is sin, you're never going to escape that. People are going to hurt you your whole life. For Christ followers, where do you need to grow up? I got my issues. I prayed all week, Lord, where am I childish? What needs to happen here? Because I think every time you grow out of something in childishness, you enter a new season where you're going to have another thing of childishness. It never stops, ever. What needs to change? Lord, thank you for the, your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study it and understand it. Thank you for being a good father who doesn't leave us where we are. Lord, help us be wise. I pray first for anyone in this room that doesn't know Christ personally. I just ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them in a very real and true and powerful way. That you would remove the heart of stone, you'd give them a heart of flesh, you would give them faith. And Lord, I pray for your church. We live in a messed up world and we're messed up people. And the only difference that we have is Jesus. So Lord, may that be our life because that's the difference. So Lord, wherever we as individuals are being childish, Lord, help us to see it. Give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and, and mature by your grace. And Lord, where, where we're doing well, where we are mature, would you continue to encourage us? But Lord, I, I pray that there would not be a single Christ in this room who would be content with where they are in their spiritual growth. That we would constantly, your Holy Spirit would constantly be assessing our own hearts and minds. 
And Lord, give us the strength and the power to make the changes that are necessary. Lord, don't let us leave here the same. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you for your grace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.